we're on Hollywood Boulevard. Hey, Karen, and hey, listeners. Happy June. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> here we are. Um, so, Karen, I saw a movie this week. Did you now? Please, what movie was it? That would be the movie musical adaptation of In the Heights. Okay, so question. Tell did me, you I mean, ask away. Did you see this in the theaters or did you see this on um, HBO Max? I saw it on HBO Max. Okay. Just wanted to ask that. Yep. I, again, have no plans and no idea about when uh, I may return to the theater and what uh, the movie theater and what that movie might be. Um, but yes, this was on HBO Max. So I'm kind of curious what now I, I did not see it. I do not have HBO Max. Um, I am not ready to go to a theater yet, um, especially considering all of my quirks about theater going to begin with. Um, <laughs> nobody wants to go to the theater with me. Um, so I'm sort of curious. I, ha I haven't watched it. Um, I did not see the Broadway show either. So, but I have been actually like, there's been a lot of reportage on this and there's, I've been catching up with quite a bit, yeah. like so a really good NPR, uh, interview with, um, Anthony Ramos. Uh, no, it was with John Chu. John Chu? Okay. Yeah, it was with John Chu, which I, I actually, um, and it was also, I think, maybe with the choreographer. No, it, no I think it was with the DP, with the director, uh, with the DP. Oh, I think okay. it was with the DP or the cinematographer. Like, so it was, so that, that I thought was kind of really interesting to get. Because I don't know, like, I don't, like, uh, God bless Lynn, like, great, you know what I mean? Like, he, like, but I've seen, like, I've heard him so many times. You know, so I was, it was kind of refreshing to listen to um, the director and then also like somebody else behind the scenes talking about their work rather than the sort of usual suspects of actor or, you know, like, it, so right. yeah, I, I like, you know, or even director at this point, although I have not, I, I don't know that much about John Chu. So that was interesting to sort of hear his take on it, but then also to listen to somebody else behind the scenes. Like I really appreciated that. And honestly, I wish, uh, I wish more news outlets would do that because I think that th it makes the story, like it makes it so much richer. And when I got done with that interview, I was like, Oh, I kind of want to see it now as opposed to, mm -hmm. I mean, no offense to actors, but you know, I find those actors, like I find those interviews very vapid. Yeah, they often are. They're, you know, they, you know, there's just something plastic, something stale about them. And even you know, when they're being authentic, they, we heard these for years. And I mean, maybe somebody like Anthony Ramos, who he's not well known, like maybe that would be a very different interview. But I sort of, when you think about like the interviews that come out with the movies and there's usually a big celebrity and they're usually telling the same interview for like to like 16 different outlets. And so you hear the same story 16 different times, um, you know, and it's just really boring. Right. And, um, and so this was actually a very fascinating interview that made me kind of really intrigued about to see the movie. And I was like, Oh, maybe it's time to get HBO max. I say that every week. Um, but, but like this time I meant it. You um, know, it's, you're not going to watch it till succession. I know I'm waiting. I'm holding, I'm totally holding out. Um, but I'm just, you know, putting that out there that I thought it was a very fascinating interview and they were really talking about the, um, the pool scene. Yeah. That is yeah. one of its big numbers. Yeah. That, that, so, that I, yeah. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know much about the show, which won the best musical Tony in 2008, 
Um, and and first put Lin Manuel Miranda on the map. Um, I mean, I come in slightly biased against it because I don't really love the musical, uh, and and I certainly don't think that it's a a superlative work, but it's definitely fun and it felt fresh in its in its time. And the movie does a lot to also feel fresh. Um, it's the the musical was co-written by Lin Manuel Miranda and Chiara Alegria Hudes, and Hudes is the one who has, or at least primarily, adapted this film version. Uh, set in Washington Heights, in uh, it's supposed to be modern times, but I think they keep it in 2008 for the film, um, and, and it's uh, a bunch uh, like the Latin community that lives there, uh, most of whom is looking for a way out. Um, an escape kind of takes a few different um, uh, paths for, for, for different characters. Um, the main character, whose name is Usnavi, played by Lin-Manuel Miranda on Broadway, played by Anthony Ramos of Hamilton, among other things, uh, and who was at one point involved in the old musical version of this as well. He's the lead. Uh, of this movie. Um, what was the dominant narrative thread in the musical is that at the bodega that Usnavi runs, uh, a winning lottery ticket is sold. Um, and then there's a lot about who won and what will that kind of windfall do? What would that mean for some of the different characters? Um, the idea of the lottery ticket is kind of shunted aside narratively uh, for for the film, which runs just under two and a half hours, and really kind of stretches the narrative, which includes not one, but like two different couples kind of coming together. Those are our four leads. Um, it's funny because I thought that the show felt slim when I saw it because I thought, I thought the book just didn't have that much going on. And Huddas has made some changes to the book that I thought stretched it out even further and actually made the the musical feel almost taut um, in ways that I didn't feel without a comparison uh, point. Um, so so I don't I, I, I still think there are a lot of um, issues with the storytelling of the movie musical. Um, everyone is so constantly upbeat, you don't understand why all of our leads are dreaming of leaving the heights. Okay, because they're <laughs> um, all happy. But, but also, you know, like it just, there's such a sense of community and belonging, and none of the things that, you know, like give you a negative connotation of any neighborhood, you know, like things like crime and rot and, and you know, people that, that are like fighting each other. Like there isn't right. a lot of that. There's a lot of unity. Um, there's a lot of support among all of the characters. Even the one guy who may be perceived as a villain because he's a white gentrifier is actually a very nice character. We just want to intuit that he can't be good. Um, so what we really need is more of a reason for all of their I want songs, all of the reasons for them to dream of escaping. Something else is not really a surprise. They've added in a lot more overt mentions of the dreamers and what it means to be undocumented. Those were things that definitely lived unsaid, but 
I think really energized the original show. Um, and now here it feels uh, actually a little sloppy to be kind of shoehorned in, accurate as it is. Um, so, th- so there are some things critically to be identified uh, about the movie. But I will say, director John Chu, who also did a couple of the Step Up movies and who did Crazy Rich Asians, makes the film kinetic and really fun to watch. And that big pool number, um, you know, is definitely a visual highlight, even though there was some kind of cheapish looking CGI, I thought, going on. Um, It's definitely, it's, you know, a big kinetic moment. One of the two probably big musical numbers for the film. However, that number takes place right after they discovered that the winning lottery ticket has been sold. There's no real emotional logic for them to all go to the pool and just be splashing about, talking about what that kind of money can do. It kind of makes more sense that you would see all of them in their home spaces or workspaces dreaming about why, what they would do if they could get away, and we could see why. Um, nonetheless, it's a fun number. There's also a number, um, an actress named Olga Meredith, who is Tony nominated for the show, plays Abuela, uh, the grandmother of the character, basically for the entire neighborhood, but for the Usnavi character. She has a big scene called Paciencia y Fe, Patience and Faith, which has also been um, become much more elaborate than it was on stage. Um, these, you know, these are uh, these are big, impressive look at me numbers um, that are a lot of fun to watch. And uh, some of the other leads in the musical are uh, in the movie version of the musical. Melissa Barrera, Leslie Grace, Corey Hawkins are fine, can sing well, um, but I don't, I don't. I don't know that they really have much star stuff, if you will. Conversely, Anthony Ramos is giving a star performance. He is terrific. He is dynamic. He is captivating um, and is significantly uh, more so, I think, than uh, Lynn himself was in mm. the in the stage version. Uh, Lynn also is in this. He has a small part. Um, Jimmy Smith's has a small role. Mark Anthony shows up in a small role. There are a couple, you know, know, known entities that are in the movie. But but of the leads, Anthony Ramos is really the one in a truly star-making performance. Um, So there, it's, you know, the movie is a mixed bag. If you like the show, chances are you will love the movie. If you like movie musicals, I think you will love this movie as well. It speaks to that. You know, it really does play by that handbook. Um, you know, there's one big dance number that also uses a lot of CGI and sort of lifts from the old school royal wedding film where Fred Astaire danced on the walls and the ceiling. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff. I think it probably verges on almost too much cool stuff um, packed into one film. But I, you know, for me watching it for free on HBO Max, it was great. Uh, it's on HBO Max, I think for four weeks, so by the time you hear this, probably three weeks. Um, and then you can only see it in the theater until the theatrical run is done. Oh, I didn't uh, know they were doing that. I didn't know they were that's pulling what that. They, they did that uh, with a couple, like Judas and the Black Messiah, and I think another one from the winter that I, I uh, that just escapes me. Um, yeah, it's 
it's a really it's a simultaneous release but but one with strings so it's a time limit it's a month um so you have until july 10th or 11th i think or something like that to watch it on on hbo max um and i guess part of what the online discourse is is that theatrically the movie underperformed didn't reach what some of uh, the hopeful and I think very optimistic prognostications were for what, um, you know, it's, it's first day, first weekend, first week uh, financial intake might be. It's not a reflection on, you know, whether the movie is good or not. I think it's more of a story of if you can already get it for free or uh, if how many people are really spending their first weeks out of quarantine sitting in a the movie theater versus going outside, taking trips, going to the beach, doing whatever during the summer months. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. I think those things have a lot to do with it. And I hate to say it, but, I mean, a, sh a show that doesn't have a breakout single and a truly bankable star, it's going to be hard to sell no matter what, but certainly in 2021 after a year and change of pandemic. So, yeah. there, I mean, there are, I think, not enigmatic reasons why you know why it's not doing blockbuster status i don't i don't think there needs to be a lot written about it i think like you were saying it's more interesting to talk about the people uh behind the scenes and and, and the mechanics of adapting uh this musical for from the stage to the screen than than its performance but yeah that's, yeah that's what the dialogue is yeah, I was I was kind of a little surprised to see all the hand wringing about the fact that it didn't do Bafo box office over the weekend, simply because well, duh, like we're coming out of a pandemic. I mean, to me, I agree, it's a duh thing. You know, like I'm kind of like, well, of course it's not going to make big bank. You know, people don't want to go to the movies right now. People are, you know, still gun shy. People are more interested in meeting up with their friends that they haven't seen or family that they haven't seen in over a year to go to dinner somewhere or spend time with people. We've been on our screens for, what, 12 or 15 months? 15, 15 16 months. months. Yeah, and we figured out a way to live without running to the movie theater. And that does not immediately go away. Yeah, yeah. And I know everyone's like, oh, but movies, communal experience. I mean, the only thing that I miss with the movies is the big screen and the surround sound. I miss yeah, the popcorn. I can make better popcorn at home. I miss, I miss movie theater popcorn more than I miss the movies. <laughs> so I mean you know if I had my own screening room with big screen and surround sound I'd never leave like I like no I don't enjoy I really do not enjoy sitting in a dark theater with other people that I don't know because they're all no. pretty rude no I mean the whole idea of, of on-demand kind of programming is great um but but to your point about like this surround sound and stuff like that that's been my thing with the like the premier access, like Cruella was 30 bucks to watch at home. And people can argue, well, yeah, but if it was two of you watching in the movie theater, you pay 40 instead of 30. So it's a deal. It's like, yeah, but then I get movie quality sound right. and screen and everything too. I right. mean, there is that, but yeah, I do think, you know, there, there are some contrarians who will argue, like I kept saying, if you can get it for free on HBO Max, why would you see it in the theater? And then people say, yeah, but the new Conjuring movie is on HBO Max. The Tom and Jerry movie, the Godzilla movie, they all still made millions of dollars during the pandemic, 
during the late stages of uh, post-vaccine pandemic, whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, what are the movies that always make money no matter what? They're horror movies, they're yeah. thriller movies, they're adventure yeah. movies, they're family movies. Yeah. A movie musical that, you know, only has a limited reach is not going to, is not going to have the same immediate turnout. And, and I, I hate to say it because a lot of the people that are talking about this, A, saw the movie for free themselves right. with screeners or screenings. <laughs> right. As always, all the ones that are talking about the way we need to reform the industry that they don't pay a cent to, uh, you know, put any money into. I know. When um, was the last time they were at, in an actual movie theater and not at a private screening? Right. Just, just right? saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and, and it's also like to a lot of people that are very focused on Broadway or New York theater or the entertainment industry or whatever in the Heights may ring loud to them, but it mm -hmm. doesn't carry that same weight. Even having Lin-Manuel Miranda's name on it, even maybe Lin's name itself doesn't carry the same weight in all the pockets of the country that are the movie going public that maybe the Twitterverse thinks it does. I think, I think it's very curious to see how, I mean, I, I kind of feel like this might've been a little bit of a barometer for Lynn outside of Hamilton. For sure. You know, because Hamilton was just such a phenomenon that like, I, I kind of wonder, you know, did Lynn become famous because of Hamilton I, wait, no, let me, maybe I'm not thinking, I'm tired. I don't have No, that. I think I, you're right. I, I think mean? you're on the right path towards it. Yeah, like, is he a star independent of Hamilton or is right. he just a part of the phenomenon? Right, right. And so, and so I'm very curious to see like where his career goes in terms of, you know, a, a non-Hamilton, because I know he's done things that aren't Hamilton. He'd had a song in like a Disney movie, but it hasn't been like a big thing, like a like like in the Heights. Like it's been like he's contributed to projects, but outside of Hamilton, there hasn't been anything that he specifically has done. Correct. That's yeah, that's right. And I mean, like he even kind of tested the waters. Like he was um, one of the leads in that Mary Poppins Return sequel, and. You know, he got, like, the due diligence amount of press because, like, I think people will always be able to pitch him. But I don't, you know, I didn't hear anything passionate about him in that. Like, his name is largely recognizable, yet I don't think he is himself the household name around the country that, that people want to think he is. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, it's not a concern, but I'm curious if, the longer he waits, waits before the next thing that's truly his, which how do you follow up Hamilton? But it was eight years between In the Heights and Hamilton. And now we're five years plus at, since the, the, from the dawn of, of Hamilton. The trickier it's going to be to like recap that well, just to see like, will the people come out? Will the people, will everyone spend top dollar again for it? Some will, but... Uh, the masses? I, I don't know. Right. I'm not trying to, you know, prognosticate negatively. I just don't know. Uh, and also in the Heights, I, I, I actually had forgotten that it won the Tony because I kind of remember it closing relatively quickly. It had like a two, two and a half year. Oh, it did. Run, it ran for two years. Okay. Because I, I, for some reason, I thought it closed relatively quickly. Like I thought it just. No, it's, I think it's considered. A fair success. It's also hard to gauge because 
that was when all the shows closed after the the 2008 recession. Um, so the fact that it ran for several years following that was nothing to be sneezed at. Okay, I could I could re- I could not remember for the life of me. Um... You know, because I, I do remember it, it kind of came out of left field. Um, you know, Lynn came out of left field. I just remember that being a little bit of like, whoa, where'd this come from that it's ending up on Broadway? You know, like that's kind of huge, you know, and, because Hamilton like this happened before Hamilton, you know, so it wasn't like Hamilton happened. Right. This was got, the beginning. Yeah, and and on its own was I mean, like Hamilton is like a phenomenon to end all phenomena. But, uh, you know. In the Heights was its own mini phenomenon when right. that when that happened. Right, right. Wow. So you know, it's two separate conversations. Is it good? Is it fun? And why didn't it make more money? Or why isn't it making more money? But you know, it's goodish and it's certainly fun. So for anyone who's looking for an escape or who wants to see another musical that you couldn't access otherwise, you know. It's there. I think I read, I think it was the Variety article that I read to, uh, yesterday about all of this brouhaha. There was also a mention of time of year, which I think is not wrong. Um, I mean, I think, you know, it doesn't, even though it's set in the summer, I think, right? Is it like, and it, yeah. and it feels like. Yeah, it, and a heat wave factor. Yeah, in. yeah, and it feels like the movie you want. Usually they, they made the point that historically, movie musicals tend to open in the fall period leading into like like they tend to do better with maybe the more serious theater goers when summer hits people want to go see the popcorn movies yeah there's something to that i think it's it's really not been tested because a lot of the broadway to movie adaptations have been oscar bait like Chicago and Dreamgirls and Les Miserables um but you know Mamma Mia was a summer movie and that's one of the most successful of all time okay so but that's similar you know they're in Greece it's sun it's dense and water everywhere you look yeah and Um, it was a starry 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 cast but that was the main yeah and the one thing I will say yes obviously stars Meryl Streep Pierce Brosnan Colin Firth yes um but I think that the, the secret sauce with Mamma Mia is do not underestimate internationally the appeal of ABBA yesterday, today, yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> I think that's, and I think that's truly significant. Yeah, no, it, it, it is not wrong. It, it is not, that is not wrong. I, I agree with that completely. So that's in the Heights. Well, all right. Um, but if you guys have watched it and, whether you saw the show or only know the movie, I'm definitely curious uh, what your response might be. So, you know, feel free to hit us up. So... Karen, you wanted to dig into something, too. Yes? Yes, for all my true crime lovers, um, which is you. I am one, yeah. I'm not all of them, I hope, but I am a one. You're every last one. Okay. <laughs> so... Have you heard of this podcast? Because I did not called To Live and Die in L.A. I don't think so. No. Okay. So this is a podcast hosted by Neil Strauss. He of the uh, late of the New York Times. He was the um, I don't know if you remember him. 
he was a music yeah. journalist for the Times for yeah. years and years, for a number of years. And then yeah, he was at Rolling Stone, right? He he now writes also. for Rolling Stone, um, contributes to Rolling Stone. And for a while after he left the New York Times, he released a book called The Player, and he basically like wrote about um. I don't want to even say dating. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It it, it was um. It was almost like, I mean, he was almost like, oh, the pickup artist um, mentality. So basically, okay. um, so anyway, uh, the the idea was sort of like teaching men how to pick up women. And so um, there was this whole movement back when that book came out about, you know, men learning how to basically trick women into going out on dates with them. He is kind of, and I don't know that he meant to be um but he is kind of the sort of granddaddy of the incel movement that's how i think of him really? uh, yes i do because <laughs> a lot of incels were reading uh, you know this book or like th this is the sort of mentality i mean for a while Neil kind of like went by these names like style and like there was like a whole thing like he was I think there was if I remember correctly there was some sort of like reality show that was a spinoff called Pimpin or something like it just is like oh, really, I, it, I don't think I knew about this I, like the whole mm. thing is really kind of gross and so like he he yeah he was part of this subculture according to Wikipedia called the seduction community and so we had these the seduction the community. seduction community and the you know the, the book the game it was called the game penetrating the secret society of pickup artists um you know and there so anyway um it was a big the, the book was a big deal and it was uh, but the whole thing was kind of gross um so, <laughs> so i guess he is now um left the world of pickup artistry and has gone back to his, uh, you know, his, his journalism and his writing. And anyway, he, um, he ended up sort of accidentally doing this podcast and sort of getting involved in a, in, in basically like a crime investigation as sort of an investigative journalist, which is really funny because Neil is not an investigative journalist like yeah that's, that's i couldn't get the disconnect yeah yeah like that is totally not his thing um so the so there the it started two years a year 2019 yeah that would be two, two uh two years ago um and that's the and I, so i'm listening to the first season the second season just came out which i have not listened to so i'm only through uh, just about done with the first season and he was looking into the disappearance of this uh 25 year old um aspiring actress and model Adea Shabani who um who disappeared in Los Angeles and so he uh, is he gets brought into the case by a private detective who was hired by um Adea's parents uh to look for this to this girl and so this is like the whole like and so he is like communicating with the family and community like communicating with all of these people to try and put together what happened to Adea um Adea of course in the course of the podcast this was and now this was the thing that I sort of found really fascinating it almost unfolds in real time 
So in you real know, time of his like investigation of his investigation. So like when, you know, like when, when you're watching like the Netflix true crime stuff, everything has already happened and somebody's in jail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or they're still searching three years later for the killer or, you know, whatever. But but all of these things happened. Well, in the course of the podcast, they're like finding the body. And so they like he needs to take a week off. So that he can go and mm-hmm. like and like collect more interviews so that he can actually do the next podcast. So that part I found really, really fascinating. Um, and the story itself, like, hey, it's pretty fascinating and it's very twisty and turny. But I will still say and maybe this is now just true crime and maybe I'm like a little bit more grown up, you know, a little bit more adult where I'm not just sort of like here for the salacious business, but it still kind of feels listening to this like an exploitation. Oh, huh. I wasn't uh, sure that would be the case. That's too bad. Yeah, like it's still to me, there were certain moments in the interviews that he was doing like, um, okay, so Adea has disappeared. The culprit is her boyfriend, okay? And this guy, his name is Chris. Is that allegedly or we know that at this allegedly, point in the investigation? Right? Allegedly, right? Allegedly. They, they're sort of like trying, They it, all fingers are kind of like, all signs are pointing to this boyfriend. Because not only was he her boyfriend, he also had a fiance. So it was like he was playing both oh. women, right? And so now Adea knew about the fiance. The fiance did not know about Adea. Chris kept saying, telling Adea, I'm going to leave her, I'm going to leave her. Um, but of course, he never did. And there were these big blow ups. And then, and then there are sort of like things that kind of like, like the story, the story would seem to be going in one direction. Like all of a sudden there was like, uh, you know, everybody's scared about uh, uh, Adea's family because like of the Albanian mob. Like, I don't know. Like, like it just sort of like started going in this like twisty, like, wait, what? And, and she's going to gone girl herself and all this stuff mm-hmm. um, and that never like really amounts to anything. And sort of, I felt like that was just kind of tossed in there so that it, so that we would get off track the listeners um, as well oh. as I guess the investigators, although I don't think that it really sent the investigators off track at all like except for it just being like okay that's weird um because again like with the evidence like the evidence was just pointing in a completely different direction but anyway so so we think that chris has killed her chris goes missing everyone's looking for chris mm. he's run off to colorado he's coming back to la like you know they, they're trying to track this guy down um and then he and they do end up finding him back in Los Angeles County in the Los Angeles area. He gets into, there's a, you know, a police chase on the highway to find him. And then spoiler alert, he ends up shooting himself in the head. Uh. Um, so he ends up committing suicide. Not clear. He had a friend with him in the car, not clear. He kicked the friend out at some point. So I guess the friend wasn't in the car when he actually did the deed. But anyway, so it's so there's all of these. So so, of course, like Neil is talking to like this friend and he's and, you know, it starts to feel a little gross at that point. How so? Exploitative or something else? Because this kid is like clearly distraught and you know and some of them not all of the people that he's talking to but there are some of them are just clearly uneducated 
clear, like all of these things that just feels like, it just feels like terrible exploitation. Um, and it's not to say that it's, and I don't know that that's necessarily Neil's fault. Although I will say like, I'm not the, I'm not, a, I'm not his, I'm not a fan of his, um, I'm definitely not a fan of his from the player. I'm not a fan of his from when he was a journalist at the New York Times. Like there's just like there's an ick factor about him that I have personally. Um you know that that is sort of like to me coming through um in this podcast. Um you know and and he kind of centers himself in the story in a lot of ways which I also don't like. Um, and yeah. you know, on the one hand, it, it is sort of interesting to have him center himself because you know there are moments where he kind of admits that he's really out of his depth and he doesn't know what to do, um, you know. And so that's kind of, I mean, honestly, like I appreciated that mostly because I was snickering at him because I don't yeah. like him, and I'm like, yeah, you are completely out of your depth, you know. <laughs> But, um, but at the same time I am, but, but, you know, it's doing, it's doing its job because at the same time I am fascinated. I do think that there's some, you, you know, twists and turns that the case has taken. Um, and I'm very curious about it, but as far as my understanding goes, this is still an open case. It still has not been figured out. Oh, so you have not finished the season. I have the podcast, not finished right? the season, but my understanding is that it, that, that it was never, like, there has been no closure to this yet. And you said that a new season has just begun now. That this yes. is from, like, two years ago? This was from, like, two years ago. I feel like it was 2018, but on the website it's reading 2019. But let me see, let me see on Spotify, because they might have put up a different website. Because I feel like it was 2018. Um, oops, where is it? Well, I mean, now I can't find it, of course. Um, ugh, now I can't find it. It's okay. It's a, but I'm curious, is this new season a new investigation or I don't know if you know, or is it a continuation, uh, of this current unsolved case? Um, I believe it is a new investigation, um, but it's the invest, but now it's like an investigation that it's investigating something that actually happened before Adaya, um, which is how he met the, um, the private investigator that brought her into Adaya's case. Cause apparently somebody went missing in the neighborhood where Neil lives and Neil just went out to help look for this person. Um, and ended up meeting this private investigator and the, and they've struck up a relationship and that's how he got pulled into a day's case. So my understanding is this new season is dealing with that particular missing person's case where they met. So, um, so I don't think it's going to have the same sort of timeline that this had. Gotcha. Would you keep listening? I am. I'm going to keep listening. I don't know that I'm going to go beyond this. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. This season, um, I, I definitely want to finish out the season. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I kind of I don't know if I'm going to keep going with true crime in general because again, it feels mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. feels very exploitative exploitative about the whole thing now, and and I don't know if that's if it if it's my maturity or if it's that the 
the genre has become so oversaturated that, you know, the people that are doing these interviews are not necessarily that good at them. So they do feel exploitative rather than useful. Yeah, well, I do think as it has expanded, it's become less useful. You know, I think there was a lot to be said about, you know, learning details of of specific cases and tying that in with learning about the psychology of it. I feel like we're now at a third or fourth generation of that, which is more about the titillation of it. Um, And I think people are now very practiced in the talking heads, putting it together part of it. So if you're someone who was like, well, I had an interest of it. It wasn't purient. It really came from a place that was a bit deeper and wasn't afraid of the dark. Now it's more just like a lot of the people that, that participate have just found a way to, to profiteer off of it. Right. Right. So, yeah. So that was it to, uh, to live and die in LA. If anybody is curious. Well, whether you guys listen to that one or not, we hope you keep listening to us. Um, I mean, I think I think we've really covered great ground this week on the boulevard, and I'm so satisfied with our convos. I feel like we should just put a pin on in it until next week. Okay, that sounds good. I'm ready to go to bed. Well, there we go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys have any uh, ideas what you want us to talk about next week on the boulevard, you also can reach out to us uh, back on the block pod on Facebook. Uh, we'd love to engage and yeah otherwise we hope you're doing well staying stay safe and sane happy and healthy whatever a good combination is We'll we'll see you guys next time take care see you next week back on the boulevard